0: Welcome back to another episode of Creedle. I have missed this, but I'm sitting virtually, of course, across from Andrew Petiprin, and we are back for one of our trademark What A Week installments. Andrew, welcome back. How are you?
1: Zach, I am great. I am so happy to see you again. It's been a long time. We've kept up a little bit, but we have not, we've not seen each other face to face and definitely haven't podcasted. So I am really excited to be doing this again.
0: As am I. Yeah, this has been way too long. Unfortunately, I'm not here to announce that we're going to be back every week like we once were. Uh, our jobs have made that impossible, I think, for both of us. But uh, we'll, be, we'll be trying to do it periodically here and there. Um, and we've got an exciting uh, set of things to talk about today. Hopefully, there's a great misinformation segment. Andrew has prepared it this time. Uh, we have a very provocative... Uh, well, the, I guess the article is provocative, and certainly in some circles. But a, an article about a very provocative character on the sort of new right or far right or alt right, pick your pick your descriptor. And then we've got a recommendation segment. So those are the segments for what a week. But first we're just gonna just gonna have some chit chat and catch up a bit. And I'd love to ask you, Andrew, about your new job. I know you were on the job market for uh well a couple months ago, but you've since found something and you are uh you are working diligently building the church. So tell me more about that. And then even more importantly, you've got some side hustles out there. So let's definitely talk about the side hustles as well, including if I can, if I can give a little spoiler, the Ignatius Press podcast with Andrew Pedapran. So let's start with the job, yeah. and then I want to hear about the side hustles.
1: Yeah, Zach. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, uh, some of our listeners know I used to work at Word on Fire for a little over three years, and I left Word on Fire earlier this year. And it was kind of, you know, I was in transition. I was kind of trying to figure out what what came next. Our family really wanted to stay in the DFW area, and we have. And uh, yeah, during that transition time, I just. I, I started getting all kinds of freelance work and, you know, lots of paid writing, which is really terrific. I'm writing a regular column for Catholic World Report. I'm writing for Catholic answers and developing all kinds of other things, writing a book. But um yeah, I also was offered the opportunity to host the Ignatius Press podcast, which has been a lot of fun. And we've I think we've released five episodes so far. They're coming out every other week. And it's just a great opportunity for me to read some terrific Catholic authors and to get to interview them in depth. So uh, depending on, I guess, Zach, when you publish this podcast that we're recording right now, I think it will be before the next uh, installment of the Ignatius Press podcast comes out, but uh, listeners can look forward to a conversation between me and Father Joseph Fessio, the founder of Ignatius Press, and we're going to be discussing the last writings, the, the brand new volume of writings in English by Pope Benedict, the late Pope Benedict XVI. So that's going to be a really exciting one. And then you also asked about other work I'm doing. I'm also working full time at a church in Dallas, and I'm really enjoying that, getting back into ministry a little bit, And uh, but then yeah, like also keeping super busy with all these side hustles. It's uh it's really things are good now. Things are really good. So, and I appreciate by the way all of your support and your prayers and your help when I was uh kind of kind of figuring out what to do next. So, you were a good friend. I really appreciate appreciated that.
0: Well, of course I was happy to help you. Uh and I'm very excited to see where you've landed and I'm very excited about this podcast. I also have a request. Um, sure I think you know this about me Andrew. I'm not a particularly, you know, prone to being star starstruck kind of person. Yeah, uh, you know, there are very few people who, if you ask me, you know, do you want to meet in this world? There are very few people who I'd really be particularly excited about meeting. Um, Benedict Benedict the 16th was one of those. Of course he passed away recently, so that's no longer an option for me, but there's another one who is an Ignatius press author and he's a very reclusive type of personality who lives in Canada and you may know who I'm talking about, but that's Michael D. O'Brien. Yeah. So if. If uh, Ignatius is willing to to set this up for you, and you can interview Michael D O'Brien, I would love a chance to just hop on a call with him for five minutes and just say thank you for your amazing work. He's my favorite living writer for sure. Uh, you know, apologies to yourself, Andrew. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and and he, yeah, he just he brings such a wisdom and such a richness of theology to his work that I yeah I, I just I can't stop singing his praises he's absolutely incredible and that's I haven't even talked about his art but he has this beautiful sort of neo-byzantine art uh and so he's just a fascinating remarkable man and I would love to meet Michael D O'Brien I'd love to have him on this show I I've looked I have no way of getting in touch with him maybe in fact I'll, I'll maybe you can actually connect me with the Ignatius folks and see if he'd, he'd be willing to do it but I doubt he would I think he's just he's very content to be doing his sort of you know semi-aramitic thing he has a family so he's not a not a total hermit but You know, he he, he's pretty withdrawn, I think, from civilization up there in rural Ontario. But a fascinating, fascinating man. So I don't know if that's on the schedule at all, but if it is, would love to just be able to chat with him for a few
1: minutes. It is not on the schedule imminently anyway, but I would love that opportunity too. Although I do not really know his work. I know that you're a big fan. I have several friends who are in the same boat as you who think he is just just as good as it gets. So I would, what, actually, one of the things I love about this this podcasting gig with Ignatius Press is that I have to read these books slash get to read yeah. these books, you know? So it's like a really awesome opportunity to just get to sit and have a close read, kind of like we get to do on the podcast with articles, but like to have a close read of a book with a pencil and think about things that I want to know more about and then get to have a, almost a whole hour with That's great. these really interesting people to get to talk about these things. So yeah, I really hope I get to talk to him in the future.
0: Well, if I can put a plug in for his book, Sophia House, I read it over mm-hmm. Lent this year, and it instantly became one of my top five favorite books that I've ever read. Uh, yeah, I won't even say more. I mean, yeah, I won't say more. I'll just leave it at that. It's the first of the Father Elijah trilogy. Mm-hmm. So if you read that, it would make sense to finish out the trilogy, but it is phenomenal. So good. I'll
1: have to read that. I have not done yet.
0: Yeah. It has so much to say about our world today, and it speaks in such a countercultural christian gospel centric way about mm-hmm. the things that are going on in our world today but it's focused in it's it's set in world war Two. so uh yeah it's but it's prophetic very prophetic and andrei rublev pro- features prominently in this mm-hmm. very rich sort of uh intermission in the middle of the book it's remarkable it's absolutely remarkable excellent yeah I'll well, read it. Well, good. I'm glad to hear about that podcast. Uh, people can find the Ignatius, Ignatius Press podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll see Andrew's smiling mug right on the cover there, since it is the Oop. Ignatius Press podcast with Andrew Petterprin.
1: My um, one headshot that's everywhere, so <laughs> that's yeah, right. they'll, yeah. they'll find it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, so today we've got misinformation. We are going back to our trademark segment. You know, I say trademarked. We started this, Andrew, a while ago. I'm sure we weren't the first people to do it, but they, we were the first people that I know of, and then- Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire starts doing his fake news Friday, where it's the it's literally the exact same thing. He's got a ton of different headlines, and he's got to he's got to you know separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will, the real from the fake. So, I guess yeah. uh, I, I can only conclude that Michael Knowles and the Daily Wire folks are listeners of What a Week.
1: I I wonder if they are, if somebody is. I don't I don't know Michael Knowles. I assume you don't know Michael Knowles, but I, I think we probably might know somebody who knows Michael Knowles. That's probably one true. or two people out there somewhere. So who knows? if maybe those sneaky daily wire guys have have uh, ripped us off a little bit but that's okay guys that's cool we'll 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 do it too
0: yeah well let's just go with it since we're the original misinformation folks the original purveyors of misinformation that's probably not the best way to say that <laughs> uh, let's dive yeah. into the misinformation right.
1: segment okay i'm excited because i think the last couple of times i've i've been on when we were out of sync from our normal back when we were doing it regularly i think you've just done it but today I had some time so I was I was glad to to dig into the the weird news sections of the web and try and come up with something to stump you. So, are you ready?
0: I'm ready. I think I'm also on a losing streak, so I hope to turn that are around you? today. The last I know it's been a while, but I think the last two times you did it, I guessed wrong. So, here we go. Okay.
1: All right. Let's see what happens today. Okay, here's story number 1 from NPR, National Public Radio. The, the story is, Post Malone bought Magic the Gathering's one ring card valued as high as $2 million. And uh, it elaborates a little bit like this. Last year, American rapper and singer Post Malone dropped $800,000 on a rare Black Lotus card signed by the artist who drew it, making it the most expensive Magic the Gathering card ever purchased until now he may have paid as much as two million dollars for the one ring a one-of-a-kind card released in June let's see if you like this part according to lore in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings the one ring was forged in the fires of Mount Doom for the dreadful sorcerer Sauron actually by the dreadful sorcerer Sauron yes. you know but right. anyway um so they either, got the they or I, yeah. either they or I made a mistake Zach <laughs> um let me continue however through fate or fortune, perhaps both, the trading card embodiment has landed in the hands of an unlikely hero, Mr. Malone.
0: Mr. Malone. I've never heard Mr. Post Malone, Malone referred to as Post Mr. Malone, Malone, but there we go. Mr. Malone. is it, that, that can't be his birth name, right?
1: I You know, I don't First know. First
0: name Post, I, last name Malone? I don't know.
1: I don't know, okay. but Mr. Malone may or may not be $2 million lighter in the wallet uh, with the result of a brand new trading card I mean two million
0: dollars for one ring to rule them all seems like a pretty good deal seems like a bargain yeah 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 except it doesn't
1: actually make you invisible and stuff the trading card I don't think never
0: mind all All right.
1: right you ready for number two I'm ready okay here we go this is from the mirror time traveler proves it's real with a photo of future city from the year 6000 the man who claims to be a time traveler insists he was part of a top secret program to send people into the future And has brought back a snap to back up what he says he says advances in medicine government and new technology will make modern life seem quote primitive and humankind lives in peace under the benevolent rule of an ai overlord to prove his point in the middle of a rambling speech he produced a photo of an unnamed city unfortunately it is so blurred it has more in common with a monet watercolor than a futuristic cityscape beautiful Okay. So that's time traveler proves it's real with a photo from the year 6,000. And the okay. word
0: proves is doing quite a lot of lifting
1: there. Proves is, yeah. that's a, that's an important word in that yeah. in that story. Okay. All right. That's number two. Here's number three. This is from a website called Euro. It's like a Spanish uh, European website, Sounds I think. Sounds very credible so already. I'm digging deep. I'm digging right, deep, Zach, to, to stump you. Okay. Um, So this one is called A DJ Priest Revolutionizes World Youth Day with an electronic show. So it elaborates, the father, Guilherme Pextoa, sorry, I don't know Portuguese. I do know some other European languages, but not that one. So anyway, father Guilherme, a Portuguese priest known as the priest, known as the DJ priest, unleashed an authentic, quote, Catholic session, mixing techno music with sacred messages. Um. With his label, Luce Eterna Records, Father Guilherme created an atmosphere of praise and celebration, connecting the essence of the church with the language of Generation Z. With his style called Melodic Techno, Father Guilherme combined electronic topics with phrases from Popes John Paul II and Pope Francis, as well as excerpts from the encyclicals Fratelli Tutti and Laudato Si. About Father Guilherme's DJ ministry, Pope Francis commented, this is exactly what I mean by accompaniment. Life in the church is a rave. No, Everybody dance no. now. But, <laughs> no, this... <laughs> if true, oh my Pope goodness. Francis says life in the church is a rave. Everybody dance now. Oh my God! What do you think, Zach? One, two, or three? Oh
0: man! The uh. <laughs> She's absolutely remarkable. The Post Malone one sounds real to me. I think that is true.
1: It is true. It okay. is true. Yeah, um there's not much more to say about that except that yeah, it says the card was found to be in mint condition when it was rated by the Sports and Trading Card Grading Company Professional Sports Authenticator or PSA. So yeah, Post Malone has bought one of the most expensive pieces of trading card memorabilia ever ever bought, ever bought or sold. Wow. So it's true apparently
0: that includes sports memor- memorabilia. This is Yeah,
1: this doesn't go into that, but I I would be hard-pressed to think of I you know, I don't know what like the kind of Mickey Mantle rookie card or Honest Wagner rookie the card. Wagner. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, do those go for more than like a million dollars? It's I don't a lot know. of money.
0: It's a lot of money. Yeah. So, all right, so that one's true. Now, I thought yeah. I was going to get out easy because, you know, working at Hallow, yeah. I'm I often just end up being fairly up to date on sort of you know, things going on in the world in the in the world of sort of the intersection of audio and young people in the Catholic Church. Okay. and so I'd heard about this priest doing it and not only did I, did I hear about him doing this but I I saw a little clip of a midworld world youth day and it looked you know I mean to, to each their own uh and this is this is this is a expression that this would not be for me you know many people like this and that's fine but he, you know there were these like clerics and young people milling around and just <laughs> and it sounded like a nightclub and it looked it looked and sounded pretty ridiculous uh So, but I I thought this was going to be an easy, this is definitely true. And then you gave me the Pope Francis quote. Yeah. And I'm thinking the Pope Francis quote cannot possibly, (laughs) cannot possibly be true. Although it would be hilarious if it was. So I'm going to say that one is not true.
1: You, you are correct. You're correct. I'll, I'll go back and tell you about the time traveler in a second. But first, yeah, I just, you know, I, I thought, uh, the I thought that story of the DJ priest was pretty, was pretty crazy. Like you. You know, I I wouldn't mind at all if my children decide they wanted to go to a World Youth Day someday or whatever, but I am sort of naturally allergic to anything churchy that has the word youth attached to it. I just, it's just not going to be for me. It's just not. So never has, even when I was a youth so i watched that video there are some people talking about how it's like satanic or something i i don't know to me it just seems kind of lame. Wait, what
0: is their argument that this is satanic i don't well because
1: that. so there are a couple of clips actually going around the one that this story is based on was the original one where he was just kind of spinning some tunes as they were like gathering to go into mass or something like that but apparently later that night or the next day or something like that he put on like a full show at nighttime and it had like people twirling batons of fire and it like had people in these costumes and all this stuff yeah, I didn't really dig too deeply to find out, but there were, there were some, you know, some of the usual the usual suspects were kind of like screaming bloody murder about this. To me, sounds it a, all just- sounds,
0: sounds a bit of a stretch to <laughs> say the twirling yeah, baton the satanic.
1: I don't know. You probably can poke around the internet and find, you yeah. know, that it's more serious than the way I'm depicting it. But anyway, it just looked kind of lame and not my style. But yeah, so forgive me, Holy Father, for attributing- words to you falsely but this is all in good fun so yeah as far as i know pope francis did not weigh in positively or negatively on on this um this father dj priest dj but um i don't know if you had ended the quote
0: with this is precisely what i mean by accompaniment i i i could have gone for it i could have gone for it
1: <laughs> yeah well anyway i had i had to kind of go ahead and just take it over the top so i i decided to do that everybody dance now but yeah, the uh, the time traveler story, I mean, it's true. I guess I mean, this is a real story. I didn't I didn't add anything to it. I didn't make anything up. But here's the funniest part about this story. So it was in the mirror, this guy claims to have this photograph that's all like distorted and, you know, hard to make out that proves that he was sent into the year six, thousand and has come back. And so here's how he justifies the problem, namely that the picture doesn't show us anything. He says, quote, in the time travel process, pictures tend to get distorted, as well as many other things. I know a lot of you are going to find my story extremely hard to believe, and I don't blame you. And if, I was you watch- and if I was watching somebody claim these same things, I myself would most likely not believe them. It's not my intention to deceive anybody. I simply want to spread a message about the future of humanity and where the world is heading. I have seen the way the world's changed and the technologies that have emerged. It would blow your mind if you only knew the technologies that exist in the year six thousand. So, he's got this this like this uh, weird smudgy picture that he claims is smudgy precisely because it actually he, he's saying it's because of the time travel right. itself that the picture is now, um, you know, basically not showing us anything at all. But he just wants us to know there's stuff that awaits us in the future. And he's been there. So that's the story.
0: It's unclear to me why the benevolent, uh, omniscient, omnipotent AI permitted him to travel 6,000 or 4,000 years back in time to us. Yeah. That was, yeah. It was very nice of it to do that. So
1: it, it wants to reassure us not to be afraid of it oh. as it, as oh. it takes us over.
0: Right. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just too bad that the time travel process blurs images, you know? Yeah.
1: I know. It seems like they should have, they should have figured that out before would, they would sent them so. back you're, bearing you're witness. Om,
0: you're an omnipotent, omniscient AI and you can't figure out how to keep high resolution photos intact during the time travel yeah. process. I mean,
1: come on. I mean, the dude's like coming back with a Polaroid or something. He's like, I've been to the year 6,000, man. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, don't, I think it would be something a little better than that. Yeah, I would think so. I would hope so. I don't know. All right. Well, I guess count me a skeptic on the time travel claims. Yeah, me too. Okay. Well, that was a good one. Right. Thank you very much, Andrew. Are you ready Visit? to move on to our close read? Let's do it. Cool. I know you've you've landed yourself in uh, in some internet fights over this one, very recently. In fact, this is a brand new article by Graham Wood in the Atlantic called "How Bronze Age Pervert Charmed the Far Right." First of all, <laughs> did you ever did you ever think that you'd be uttering the words "bronze age" and "pervert" in one in one breath consecutively yeah. put together?
1: No, and nor did I think there would uh, we would be like contemplating the the, the complex problem of baptism. Uh, yes. you know, yeah, this bronze age pervert. I so had you ever heard of this before? I I had seen this pop up and maybe this says something, you know, convicting or or whatever about the kind of people I follow on Twitter. I don't know. But I mean I had seen this this like handle pop up here and there, but I, I had never clicked on it. I had no idea what it was until this buddy of mine sent me this Atlantic article had were you aware of this I was
0: mildly like I yes I had seen his Twitter thing pop up I had looked at his profile and thought what in the world is this person or entity? Mm-hmm. whatever whatever this is very strange yeah uh so it, it did it did strike a uh something in my memory but I I wasn't super familiar I'm looking at his account right now some of the people that I follow um or who follow me yeah it's, it's not a long list Michael Knowles Comfortably smug, who's a conservative um, kind of provocateur, uh, but most, <laughs> mostly is like into sort of like DC politics type stuff. Um, Sagar and Jetty, who's actually a centrist, he's the co-host of this um, young, uh, uh, fairly young new independent news show called Breaking Points, uh, with another co-host named Crystal Ball. They're both she's she's kind of left of center, he's right of center, but they're both very centrist. Um, Wrath of Nan. Who we have talked about on this mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, Aaron yeah. uh, McIntyre, who I am pretty sure is an integralist. I have not seen much of his stuff. Um, Culture Critic, which is this this account that I follow that posts a bunch of like beautiful pictures of um, uh, sculpture and art, mostly from Western Civ. Mm-hmm, yeah. Nina, Nina, Power, Nina Power, who's one of the editors, or I think the senior editor of Compact, the new magazine yep. that um, Shrav Amari started. So that's a pretty. Oh, and Glenn Greenwald. I follow Glenn Greenwald, and he follows um, Bronze Age Pervert. Yeah,
1: so, I'm seeing some of these same people. I mean, even like real normie people, like Mark Bauerlein, um, yeah, John hirschauer from the American Conservative. I mean, JD Vance follows him. Oh, what? Really? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, it's. I mean, who knows why they follow him? I guess sure. like for just because he's an you know an interesting cultural influencer, and they want to keep their finger on the pulse or whatever. But I mean something that the article points out right i mean to kind of get into it is just how um and you know i would consider myself sort of more you know more or less a man of the right uh and something that the article points out is that you know most everyone and maybe i'm just a little bit too old i don't know although i think i'm about the same age as this bronze age bronze age pervert guy um whose name by the way is Costin Alamariu who is a romanian american um, with a phd from yale but um but anyway yeah it seems like so the the word on the street is like these especially these sort of like younger conservatives have this guy on his radar very much you know that that this is the kind of thing that that people who are thinking especially in in light of this sort of like post-liberal moment that we're having are very much aware of whether they are kind of all in on his on, on his like perspective on things or not so i guess this is definitely something worth talking about
0: it definitely is uh this article is written by graham wood graham spelled g-r-a-e-m-e i haven't written or haven't read a ton of what graham has written but what i have read i have absolutely loved he did a story in i think 2014 2015 maybe on isis and i thought it was it was going to win the pulitzer prize it was just phenomenal it was a super long read all about the sort of building of the caliphate and abu Bakr al-baghdadi and all that and so i thought this guy this guy knows how to write he's very impressive so i saw this um that he'd written uh this week and thought oh that that'll be interesting or maybe it was last week i think i read it last week and texted you cuz i knew that you had mm-hmm. read it as well andrew um but yeah i think you're right this so the sort of context for well let me maybe sort of summarize the um the article and then we can we can dissect it a bit so Graham Wood writes um hey there's this guy out here uh bronze age pervert he's making a big stir on twitter i know who he is um and he's this guy he was an mit graduate student uh he's a romanian uh immigrant to the united states and he's really fascinating he starts the story with this fascinating um anecdote from bj novak who plays ryan in the office Uh, and he's done a bunch of he's a he's a writer and director now so he i think he writes and directs more than he acts now but uh he went on the late show with david letterman um, and talked about how he' had played a role in the American far right because he had basically partnered with this guy to pull a prank on Boston's Museum of Fine Arts and replace all of their audio guided tours with this uh this strange audio recorded by the guy who was Bronze Age pervert
1: That um, is a hilarious prank by the way yeah. right I mean yeah. that is and that's like a kind of like a quintessentially 90s like smart guy prank too yes. I, I, that really resonated with me as somebody who was probably, you know, around the same age as these guys yeah it was was pretty good yeah so
0: the audio was tales from the land of dragons 1000 years of chinese (laughs) painting and they had just they had just you know recorded themselves and just did it to to be funny um and that was the i guess the one and only time that novak collaborated with this guy and he basically was confessing to david letterman i'm sorry that i you know enabled him at all in any way and so uh i'm trying to find the name you 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 memorized the or you you remember the name of this guy andrew what was his name again
1: yeah Costin Alamariu. uh it's somewhere yeah i'm looking for it i don't know it's like three or four Co- paragraphs yeah Costin yeah.
0: Alamariu. so this is actually a former friend of graham woods uh graham says he's an mit graduate who grew up in newton massachusetts uh, and as i said a, a romanian and um Graham was friends with him because they had run across each other in Boston or maybe in Cambridge, and they had chatted a little bit about some, you know, intellectual or pseudo-intellectual things at the time, and then it sort of fallen out of touch but would remain in touch here and there. And um, over time, uh, Costin's influence grew as he built this sort of Bronze Age pervert persona online, and he started to espouse some really pretty vulgar... And um, vulgar and, uh, I guess, heavy-handed, you know, fascist or at least semi-fascist ideas and ideologies um, started ranting against immigration, started displaying unabashed racism. But he he would wed this all with a deep knowledge of the ancient age, hence his name, Bronze Age Pervert. You wrote a self-published book, and in Graham Wood's, I've obviously not read the book, and I have no plans to do so, but in Graham Wood's telling, um, it was self-published because no one in the right mind would actually publish it because it's, it's just, you know, seething in, uh, with all of these, uh, these ridiculous ideas. Um, Graham Wood writes, uh, I consider myself a connoisseur of brilliant lunatics, and I have a high tolerance for their lunacy if it has compensating virtues of, say, humor or ingenuity. But even I find BAP, Bronze Age pervert, worrisome. What starts as comedy can become something more sinister, and Bap Shtick, while sometimes hilarious, shows every sign of transforming into a new mode of far-right radicalism. With fans in positions of responsibility and power, and he goes on to say that not only does Bap, you know, have this sort of internet influence and and uh, he espouses these uh, bad ideas, but he has a bunch of followers in powerful seats in seats of power across the american government level various levels of government state government etc positions of cultural influence um and that they're just sort of waiting waiting for the go signal basically now there's some of this that i think is probably overstated and we can talk about that certainly andrew i mean as my prime example of that is that uh his graham woods prime example of these sort of position people in positions of power is that um uh what's that what's that his name is me now george um the representative who's who's just like just lied through. His oh, yeah, teeth. George Santos. Thank yeah. you, Santos.
1: Yeah, one of his staffers is quoted in this in this right in yeah. this piece. Yeah. yeah, his
0: staffer is like a big BAP disciple, mm-hmm. and so Graham was like, "See, these people in positions of power." But I don't think a staffer in <laughs> Santos's office can really be said to be like in a position of power in any meaningful sense. Like this, his, his boss has lost his committee assignments, I think, and all that. So um, yeah. So some of this is probably overstated, but but uh, with that said, um, the rise of baptism at all. Uh, speaks to a desire for these kinds of ideas on the American right. It speaks to the uh, the deficit of the sort of classical liberal project in articulating any notion of the good that is compelling to people who are otherwise swayed by BAP's uh, ridiculous ideology. Um, and it shows a real hunger and dissatisfaction, especially among, among, among young men. And that's the important part here, I think, for thinking about the future and what this portends for these types of strongman ideas to have a more prominent place in the public square. <laughs> um, and I, I can, we, we can, I guess, dive further too. I mean, Graham has this this extended discourse about, you know, Leo Strauss and the effect of the, the influence of Strauss on baptism, bat, et cetera. Now, I'm not a philosopher, but my final comment here, and then I'll pitch it back to you, Andrew, is that um, Costan's ideas don't actually seem to be grounded in Philosophy. I think you know most most scholars of Strauss, for example, would say that he's completely misreading Strauss or certainly misappropriating Strauss in in doing that. And I have friends who are who are Straussians, and I don't think Strauss himself would be any fan of what what Kostin is doing here with his ideas, for example. So there's some there. I think um, the way that Graham describes Kostin's ideas and ideology, it's a sort of just it's a grab bag of various um, fanatical ideologies that have been around despite his persona of Bronze Age pervert have really been around for the last you know 150 years maybe um, and uh, and he's just sort of synthesizing them rather crudely arrogantly and perhaps most importantly brashly in a way that's that's you know intellectually uh that, that sounds intellectually sophisticated and is therefore uh you know finding finding hearts and minds as uh, disciples of it there's also an element of this that I think is just a big joke, uh, and Graham tells the story of of college when um, Bap was in. I think it was actually graduate school when when a, a woman, young woman who was a student, realized that he was just trying to get a rise out of her. He was just saying the most ridiculous things he could possibly do because he's just trying to pr- provoke a reaction. And I think there is there is a significant element of that here. Um, even just when you look through the, and I, I I have not wasted much of my time scrolling through the Twitter feed, but I've scrolled through a little bit, and it does seem like there's this sort of Um, this parody level of self uh, aggrandizement and um, uh, provocation that tells me this person is not a serious person and this is this is you know a gigantic troll job
1: yeah i think i think maybe yeah maybe i'll start there because i think that's an that's an interesting part of the of the problem with with this phenomenon this baptism thing is is the entire is the whole thing a joke right i mean we live in this sort of like ev- this like incredibly self referential um self conscious ironical age you know like do, are we even supposed to take this seriously i mean one of the, one of the things that is is noted in the article is that um it you know part of part of what this bronze age pervert guy does is he just goes ahead and says things that are way more extreme like way more racist way more Everything than than anybody would say, thereby in a sense, like kind of um, stopping up front the the kind of surface level criticisms that people lob at anybody who has, you know, something other than just the kind of standard, you know, progressive line, right? I think that there's there may be some element of that at work here. Like the um the staffer for Santos that's quoted in the article seems to seems to appreciate Bronze Age pervert in the same way that people said, you know, have said all along that they appreciate Donald Trump in this kind of like, we take him seriously but not literally kind of thing. Um so I think there may be a little bit of that at, at play here. But Maybe before exploring that further, I want to be sure that we situate the the kind of development of this guy and his thought from its intellectual inception down to now its popular appeal. Because I think that this is really important. So this is a guy who is an elite. He has degrees from the best institutions in North America, among the best in the world, MIT, and has a PhD in political science from Yale. Um, his supervisor, who's quoted in the article, didn't understand him, um, definitely doesn't approve of what he's doing, but signed off on his dissertation. I mean, let it through. Um, you know, this is, the, in a sense, like what the story, the intellectual history of this guy is sort of saying to the world is, uh, and it's and it's mentioned here, Graham mentions it in the article, that that this guy, this Coston guy, Bronze Age pervert, came along at a moment in kind of the academy where it had been taken for granted for so long that everybody coming through more or less was working within the same confines, that when this guy came along who was essentially trying to undermine all of it, they just kind of didn't know what to do with him. They just they just kind of let him through, you know? Um, now, this article—the reason that I read it in the first place—is that a political philosopher buddy of mine sent it to me, and he is, um, I think, comfortable in you know being being categorized in the Straussian field. Um, like you mentioned, you have some friends who who kind of conform to that that view as well. Um, and this friend of mine tells me that although, yeah, certainly most people who consider themselves Straussians, including the the academics that are quoting in this article, would definitely not agree at all with with this guy's perspective. There is a there is a there is a line of development connected to genuine this genuine movement, the Straussian thought that in which this guy is not completely alien. Um and um so I think that that's an interesting that's an interesting thing like whether that's, you know, this sort of uh esoteric reading of philosophy uh you know his kind of nietzschean bona fides right he he is like really um uh he he's you know this bronze age pervert guy is is nietzschean super Nietzschean, yeah that's it's, something it, that we should you know we really can we can unpack that a little bit more too right but where this where this then goes, right? So I think this is important to like point this out that this starts as an intellectual thing and then filters into a culture, especially a culture of young men, who are totally lost. And Nietzsche and this kind of like manly, you know, sort of brave but ultimately nihilistic view of strength and a, and an approach to the world is. Is sadly, in my opinion, something that is very appealing. And it's something that, you know, Ross Douthat has been has been commenting on this um in a couple of different contexts lately. It's something that is kind of inevitable with the decay and the decadence of Western Christianity. Um, young men just don't look at the church anymore for the most part and see it as a place of strength, you know, a place of a place of authentic identity for them as men, right? Uh so anyway, that's that's a lot but as you say so this intellectual movement that's rooted in this kind of fringe but not altogether disconnected and and you know anathematized part of straussianism uh has filtered down into into society into has as the author says even these this kind of like sleeper movement that may be afoot in our society where suddenly one day everybody's going to you know a, a huge mass is going to wake up and and like you know come out as full-blown Baptists or something like that. So so that's a lot, you know. Um, but I, I think it's it, it's just interesting to see the way these the, the intellectual current is affecting the popular culture. Because I think like you and I have talked about this before, we're connected to some degree to some of these like post-liberal thinkers. And as much as there are people kind of of the old mindset who think like we've got to just keep doubling down on classical liberalism. It doesn't seem like that's gonna work. It doesn't. And so what we have to face then is is it gonna, is the alternative gonna be something like this BAP thing or is it gonna be something else? And I, I for one want it to be something else, to be sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, I think I think you're right. Now the we've we've talked about the post liberalism stuff before, and we can certainly do so again. Um, and it certainly is related to this, but I think it's worth pointing out. That baptism as a positive political philosophy does not articulate a whole lot, from what I can tell. It's a very negative political philosophy. It describes the um, it describes this the failings of what has come before it, and it and it harkens back even the name Bronzetti harkens back to an age when, in Costin's view, uh, strength was what mattered, and young men had a place and they could assert their masculinity um there is we haven't mentioned this there is a sort of a very and graham explores this in the piece a bit. there's a very sort of homo- homoerotic over uh, undertone to a lot of what bat posts uh, online as well um which i think lends some credence to the sort of troll theory potentially but um there's not a whole lot that baptism espouses in a positive sense i really think it mostly is about tearing down what comes before it so if conservatives are falling for that i think they need to first recognize that there's um it is not uh Costin's project bap's project is not about conserving anything it's not about restoring tradition it's really about tearing down um what he sees as the sort of toxic structures that have led us to where we are now you can critique that that project all you want for sure but you also at least have to acknowledge that there's not a whole lot of positive vision to it um i also yeah. thought it was interesting in this piece that uh, graham Wood talks about how one of one of costan's guiding beliefs one of in in one of uh one of his associates said this is actually one of his most foundational beliefs is in the transmigration of souls uh and so he really does believe in some version of reincarnation um there's a passage in his book where he says i believe reincarnation is fundamentally true at least that's what that's what i'm reading here in the graham wood article yeah. Um, and, and Graham says, and this is in a section of the book that does not appear to be for laughs. So even he acknowledges like, so, it's just, it's so hard to distinguish between what he actually believes and what he's just trying to troll us with. But as yeah. far as he can tell, he does believe in reincarnation. So it's a very, it's a very interesting. You know, he's like, let's go back to the bronze age, but also I believe in Schopenhauer's uh, transmigration theory.
1: Yeah, that that's a bit all over the place, isn't it? I mean, I think that that is, that is connected to the big picture idea of why this is appealing namely that we live in a disenchanted world and so there's something enchanting about this idea of hearkening back to a time where men were strong and um and power was uh power you know power was the only thing that mattered it wasn't muddled by concerns you know these like wimpy concerns of judeo-christianity for things like truth right um but strangely the bronze age pervert does seem to be interested in thing in in a transcendental uh, ver- value namely beauty uh, you know that um there's this sense of like it, it, there's a quote in here about the great ugliness of the liberal bureaucratic state like the bronze age pervert is an aesthete you know, is somebody who is like idealizing the male form and who is... I think that there's a quote from from his book in here somewhere that says something like, oh yeah, here it is, I declare to you with great boldness that I am here to save you from a great ugliness. Um, and strangely, even though, for example, you know, people who are fans of the, the late, great Sir Roger Scruton, who is a great kind of, you know, defender of beauty, you know, he was the first one to say that, you know, that we, we're, we're not destructive. We're, we're trying to, to conserve and preserve, right. Um, in a kind of like Chestertonian, um, you know, Burkean kind of way. Right. But there's, there is another, there is another approach that I encounter that is a kind of like right aesthetic Leninism, you know that that has this this like ideal of destruction for the sake of like kind of dominating you know it, it sort of standing standing atop the ashes beautifully or something like that which is just a a strange thought in 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 certain ways but it's also one that in some respects is a, a caricature of of something that a lot of us can can relate to namely especially in a place like the United States of America we we move around in these spaces that are just you know one flattened out ugly place to another one to another one to another one and it really has a deleterious effect on the soul so i think that there's something at work there the bronze age pervert though certainly isn't going to say that that we're uh, that beauty then is uh, connected to this you know transcendent god who made man in his image or anything like that he instead is just going to kind of embrace this schopenhauer idea of of um of reincarnation transmigration of souls and that can be his kind of metaphysical backdrop such as it is
0: yeah i think this is a classic example of um of a thinker who and i don't i don't think costum is a particularly deep thinker at all but i think he is an example of a thinker who gets some of the diagnosis correct and it's just wildly wrong on his prescription. And you can say that about, honestly, most philosophers throughout history. You can look at, you know, some of my least favorite philosophers as far as their prescriptions go, Nietzsche, Marx, and you can look at their diagnoses and say, okay, you got this right. I can see where you were here, and I agree with you insofar as that goes. But but the way you solve this problem or the way you correct this deficiency is grievously woefully wrong mm-hmm. and yeah I, I think you're right to point out that costan is living in 2023 in the united states he describes i think you you described some of the words that he uses to um, describe our world i'm looking at a part where he says on his podcast apparently society became something approaching mass concentration camp
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: followed it up with i'm exaggerating only a little now that's pretty far removed from reality, obviously, and it's it's also there's some there's some you know potential like twinge of sort of Holocaust denialism, you know, weaved in there, uh, because anyone who knows anything about the horrors of the concentration camp can recognize that modern society is very far removed from anything like that, uh, and it is a massive exaggeration to, to make that claim, but uh, at the same time we can see how, uh, for a young person today, especially a young man. Um, outcomes and, you know, predicted future outcomes on a whole host of axes, you know, economic, uh, spiritual, familial, are much worse than they once were. And so it is very easy to see, and I I am sympathetic to this view, how one can look at the modern liberal project and say, this has failed us. The, pro- the promise that we fought for, you know, not just 300 years ago, but even as recently as World War II, that promise has failed us. Um, you know, we've come through decades now of failed war upon failed war first Korea and then Vietnam some some skirmishes in between that and Desert Storm and then we have Kosovo and Afghanistan Iraq I mean you name it like when was the last time we actually had a war that that helped give young men meaning um so we have that we have we have declining economic factors everywhere we have housing prices higher than they've ever been so a young man today likely won't be able to in you know cert- unless you're an elite like Kostin, but a young man today likely won't be able to buy his own home to provide for his family until he is well into his 30s, right? That's assuming he can pay off his quarter million dollars of debt that he had to incur to attend four years of, you know, mediocre middling education where he was only 40% of the student population compared to 60% of women who were who mm-hmm. are the student population there. And so you can see how young men might get disaffected and think something yeah. is wrong here. My opportunities are much more limited than those of my father or my grandfather, um, and I'm not saying that young men are totally blameless in this, certainly far from it. Right. You know, it's, it, it's, it's certainly a conscious choice to sit in front of your TV and play video games all day. And as you know, um, and all that, but it is easy to see how a young man might seem disaffected by this and then look for some alternative. Or at the very least, as in Bap's case, let's tear it all down. And like I read a book once about how these you know semi-nude Greek athletes were running around. Let's just return to that. That's great. And I'll just post a bunch of photos on my Twitter feed of that and just sort of rail against the machine and against the system and be a troll about it. And that's kind of where I think Bap lands on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his diagnosis, there's something there. There's something there yeah. in how liberalism has failed us. And in particular, how liberalism has failed young men because i definitely think it has
1: Yeah, i think you're exactly right i'm glad you pointed out that that statistic that's going around about uh yeah 60 of college degrees are being awarded to women now 40 percent to men or something like that yeah um but i you know and i think the problem starts even sooner than that right like i mean as a as a father of a son and a daughter i see how this plays out in school you know i mean obviously like there's a kind of massage miso- there's a more than kind of i mean there's a deep misogyny in uh in the bap in the bap stuff but as you say it there there are there's something connected to reality that's important to point out i mean the the school system does not know how to deal with boys anymore they don't they, i mean the the standard is for girls and so if boys act like boys then they're going to be you know diagnosed with adhd or autism they're going to be medicated you know they're going to be stigmatized their 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 lives are from the beginning uh set up to um not in a sense allow them to be the you know the 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 kind of figure that can be sort of falsely idealized by somebody like this bap character you know somebody who's adventurous who's who's risk taking who's physical who's you know rambunctious who's you know but also courageous and and has the potential to be valorous and all of that sort of thing so there's something really real about that um what i would what i'm concerned about though is that w- what what I think is going to be disastrous is if the response to all of this is ultimately like the response that comes at the end of this piece, which is an excellent, excellent piece. But I was kind of thrown off by the ending, which seems to be saying something like we need to double down on classical liberalism. Like so, for example, something that really that really struck me was there's this this um, this bit at the end where they're talking to this Brookings Institute scholar William Galston, and he talks about how liberalism had come under mortal threat in the Pacific Theater, and then he and then it sort of goes on to say that you know that what like what the Greatest Generation were fighting for in World War II was liberalism, which to me is the most I I think like if that's what we're coming back with then that's just crazy. Like, we're supposed to say to these young men who are looking for meaning in their life, hey, fight for liberalism. (laughs) Like, no, these guys, I mean, my my grandfathers were among them, right? They weren't fighting for liberalism. They were fighting for their country, for their family, for their home, right? They were fighting because they believed in something. It wasn't abstract, right? And this is the thing, right? This is the thing that I think that, that Christians ought to then come back to and say, we are able not just to propose something like a renewed patriotism or renewed manliness or like something more something more you know important something important like that but we're able to propose something worth living and dying for namely the gospel of Jesus Christ and that has to be done through the lens of this um world without god that bap is trying this space of the world without god that bap is trying to fill uh, you know in other words like you said before that you know somebody like nietzsche or marx like they are they are pointing out things they are diagnosing things that are real yeah um we can't put the genie back in the bottle of a world that has essentially turned its back on god we have you know god is dead or god has withdrawn or however we want to phrase that right but we can propose him anew we can say like the god that nietzsche hated um is dead so let's meet the real god let's 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 rediscover him Um, and I just don't know that, you know, that our like existing, like our existing framework is going to bring that God back. That's the thing that, that's the thing that, that concerns me. And I think as long as we keep sort of trying to propose that, then BAP is just going to kind of keep picking off young men and making them feel good about things for a while, but then ultimately making them feel pretty bad because nihilism is just a real bummer.
0: You are absolutely right. Uh, In my opinion, I think that your point about living and dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ is an important one. It's also important to recognize that all other goods have to be subordinated to some ultimate good in order for them to fall in line. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a skeptic of that claim that that that, uh, you know, we almost be sort of animated by the gospel of Jesus Christ um, to have true human flourishing. Just recognize that even the highest virtues that we think of, you know, the civic virtue, for example, you know, jumping on a grenade for your friend on the battlefield or sacrificing your life for your family, those are, those are goods that are still subordinated to some other good. And when you have, when you move from a theocentric worldview in which those are goods precisely because they they enable us to fulfill our highest telos, our highest end of being human, when you sub- when you replace that theocentrism with an anthrop- anthropocentrism. Then man becomes an idol unto himself, um, and I think that's that's the problem that we're that we're having here. And so, you know, we in a, in a word, uh, in several words, we when we move our frame of reference away from something outside of ourselves and we move it to ourselves, we lose our entire frame of reference. I'm mm-hmm. thinking here of the the um, the Yates poem, uh, the William Butler Yates poem, the Second Coming, when he says uh, things. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Um, and I, I might, have, I might have, in fact, let me look it up. I think I mixed up those, those lines. Here it is. The second coming, the, the opening lines. Turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. I'm, I'm going to finish this stanza. This is so good. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed. And everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned, the best lack all conviction, while the worst, Bap perhaps, are full of passionate intensity. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's right. That's exactly what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Bap would disagree. I think he would say, Yeah, I'm the worst. And I'm the most intense. And I'm the and I'm gonna I'm the strongest. And I'm gonna lead all the other all the other creeps. And like you guys can take it or leave it, but we know who we are, and uh we, we have plans and, uh, you know, I just, I think that's, that's just not good.
0: Yeah, it is definitely not good. One other comment, just in closing, uh, you know, I'm not a political philosopher, uh, Andrew, but you, you and I both dabble here and there. I don't think Bloom would quite be the, um, I don't think he'd be quite an endorser of this Graham Wood kind of take, um, as Graham Wood thinks he is Graham Wood cites him in the, in the final or the, the penultimate paragraph where he basically says like, even Alan Bloom warned us if we lost our convictions, we'd lose liberalism. But if you read the closing of the American mind, Bloom is pretty unsparing in his in his critiques of sort of where the modern version, at least, of American liberalism has gotten us. Um, and you know, I, I encourage li- listeners to go to go read that book for a what I think is a really uh, really healthy, clear-headed take on things and where we got here. I think also, in many respects, Bloom was very prophetic in yeah. diagnosing some of the things he saw.
1: Yeah, look. I mean, I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think Bloom's book opens the door to either a path, like in its most most extreme form, like maybe opens the door to something like BAP, uh, in the kind of despairing black pilled response to how bad things are, right? Yeah. Or for a Christian, it just opens the door to a, a disposition of hope. I mean, it it it's and and that's all through the writings of of Ratzinger Benedict. You know, the idea that of course, like of course we're looking out in some respects on a wasteland. Of course we are. And so what? You know, we 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 know where our ultimate hope lies. And so we sort of get to work in the present uh, with with that in mind. That's that's just that's that's the disposition of a Christian as opposed to a pagan. Yep. Yeah,
0: exactly right. I think I'm good on this this article. Mm-hmm. If you're good to move yep. on, we can move on to Me our too. recommendation section. Um all right what do you have for recommendations this week andrew
1: all right well i um as you know i enjoy uh reading the european conservative i've written for them a couple of times they they're doing just more and more interesting stuff and they've started this video series called symposia or there's only one of them but i watched it or some of it i've watched about half of it anyway and in this first video it's on youtube it's called Episode One: The Turning of the Tide, and it's hosted by Sebastian Morello, who's a pretty interesting thinker who writes a lot for the European Conservative. Uh, I like a lot of what I've read from him. And in this episode, he spends two hours and seventeen minutes with Dr. Ian McGilchrist, um, and they're wandering around on the Isle of Skye in Scotland and talking about some of the some of the issues of life in the modern world and sort of how to be a real human being in the face of you know, an increasingly dehumanized context in which we're we're sort of given to live. It's um I I'm not I I didn't I've never read anything by Ian McGilchrist. I've seen his name and kind of his thoughts have popped up here and there for me. Um, so it was a really good introduction for me to his thought and just kind of a a delightful, interesting, um attempt to kind of build something where you know it. And, and really, in in some respects, it's kind of the opposite of the BAP thing. It's it's an intell- It's intellectuals who are uh, really interested in uh, in building, in creating, in diagnosing, but then also uh, moving forward, hopefully. So I really I appreciated it. It's called Symposia from the European Conservative.
0: Great. Yeah. Well, send me a link to that. I will put it in mm-hmm. the show notes here. Uh, I've got two recommendations, very different flavors. The first one is The Lord of the Rings, just the. The, the literature series, the books. I mm-hmm. read them for the first time. Well, technically, I guess the second time, but I didn't get all the way through the first time. I think I was in high school or early college years, and I tried the trilogy. I think I flamed out in the last third of The Two Towers. This time, I went all the way through and really, really enjoyed it. I think also being being my age now and having a bit of life experience behind me and having read some more philosophy and been on quite a theological journey over the past you know decade and a half, I appreciated it a lot more as well. And so it was great. I really enjoyed it, and would recommend it to anyone who has not yet read *The Lord of the Rings*. That it is, it is a great read, very fun, um, and far better than the movies. I think I just don't want to see the movies again. They don't, they don't compare. They take some ridiculous liberties. You know, how do you take out Tom Bombadil, for example? And um, and even some of the dialogue. I actually I rewatched the movies, kind of with divided attention. You know, put it up while I was doing something else. Um, in the past several weeks, in bits and pieces. And it just comes across as cheesy now. Having read the books and sort of encountered the grandeur, so yeah, I have no desire to go back and rewatch the movies anytime. Having read the books now, they're great, so highly recommend that. Uh, second thing, you've probably seen this already, but my wife and I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen that, Andrew? Oh goodness, yes. Oh, it's fantastic. I really, really liked it. Remarkable movie. I was uh, getting all the way through, almost all the way through, right? And just at the end, I won't, I won't reveal it um, for those who haven't seen the movie. But at the end. I was just wondering is is Tarantino's trademark, you know, just absolute over the top gore going to materialize? I haven't seen it yet and then, you know, he oh, he, yeah. he gets it in. He gets it. In. Oh, it feels
1: so good. <laughs> so, so,
0: definitely remarkable, but but now this has me going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I, I honestly like i had not really cared about the Manson Murders, didn't really know much about them before watching this film. So now I'm reading this new book called Chaos. I think the subtitle is uh it's like the Manson murders, the CIA, and the secret history of the 60s or something like that. It was just published in 2019, mm-hmm. um, and I'm reading it. It's interesting. Uh, I, I haven't finished it, so I can't say if I rec- recommend it or not, but I'm you know, 35 pages in or so. It's interesting. So yeah, that's my little that's my little deep dive lately. The the sort of Manson milieu that entire that entire saga very fascinating.
1: That that stuff creeps me out so bad. I don't know why. Just maybe when I was a little kid, I saw images of Charles Manson, and he just my whole life he's sort of his face has kind of haunted me. Yeah, I
0: think I was shielded from this by my parents. So to me, really, really, I was ignorant until uh, you know I knew the name like Charles Manson. Oh yeah, didn't he like kill somebody? But I didn't know the whole story, and until very recently, yeah, I did not understand the sort of the whole family cult and all of that. So, yeah, ignorance on my part uh and it's fascinating, but also I mean I find it interesting as it's a story of human psychology, but I kind of like I like I like these examinations in human psychology. And in his case certainly spirituality. There's a there is there's real spiritual spiritual things going on in that whole story. It it is deeply disturbing.
1: Oh, yes. Hey, by the way, I would love I would love to get a take from J.R.R. Tolkien about the Bronze Age pervert. I think that he would just tear him to shreds. That would be wonderful.
0: I mean, him, Lewis, any of these medieval it scholars is. would, yeah, absolutely obliterate him. Uh, but it is. and yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Where are the where are the men with chests today, Andrew?
1: Well, this is it. This is you know one of my one of the things I know we, we we need to stop. But one of the one of the things that people were kind of critiquing in in my uh, in in my thoughts about this Bronze Age pervert article is I mean I just I just think this is the moment for a return or a re-exploration of Christian humanism these men without chests need to re-emerge like you know brave people who are sort of articulating what it means to um what it means to to belong to God and uh the the dignity of human beings and the strength of Christian men and women we need it i think it's time to kind of resurrect that project that, in some respects sort of petered out before the second world war
0: i agree with you i'm thinking again the last two lines of that first stanza of the second coming the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity and that's where yep. we that's where we find ourselves today yep so let's go have some more conviction out there let's folks. do it uh andrew thanks so much for joining me it was a pleasure to be with you once again to my listeners thank you much Thank you so much for listening. Go check out Andrew's new podcast Ignatius, podcast, Ignatius Press Podcast with Andrew Petterprin, and go check out his writing at the Catholic World Report and other places. You can just follow him on Twitter to be updated whenever he writes something new. It's great stuff. Uh, pleasure to have you listening to us today. Just send me an email, Zach, Z-A-C at creedlepodcast.com with any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, complaints, <laughs> uh, You know things we missed, things we should have said, things we can cover next time. Would love to hear from you. Always love to hear from listeners. Thank you so much. And God bless you.